how about you? I'm a little tired um, this morning. Um, last night, we, um, we stayed up and we did spiritual stuff like um, we watched MMA fighting. Um, <laughs> and um, I was intrigued. One of the things, I thought it kind of went to our point here this morning. Um, one of the bouts was with a man by the name of CM Punk. Great name for a fighter, I guess, Punk. And uh, he's a professional wrestler, and he'd really never fought in a martial arts contest ever. He was a, and is, a white belt. And he, 37 years old, and he came in to fight a man who was only 22 who has a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, um, the idea was this was going to be a major upset. Well, about 10 seconds into the fight, Mr. Punk was wondering why he ever, ever stepped into the ring because uh, he had never fought, and in just a few moments, he was done. The fight was over. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is it was very obvious that Mr. Punk had actually had done some training, tried to get in shape, but he had never had a fight in that kind of arena before, and so he was just completely pummeled. It did not end well for him at all. Well, you know what? In, in the Christian life, there is a comparison. And not on your outline, but there is a verse in 1 Timothy 4, 7, where the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy to be a strong spiritual leader and to help others to be strong spiritual leaders. And it is by application for you and I today to be strong spiritual leaders. And the command is this, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. He went on to say physical training um, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The command is to train yourself. It's a command. Continuously train. The, the Greek word there is where we get our English word gymnasium. It is the Greek word gymnazo. It's where we get gymnasium or a gym. Train yourself continuously to be godly. That is, you've got to prepare, you've got to train, you've got to shadow box, you're going to have to do some, you're going to have to do some preparing before you step into the ring. In the Christian life, we step into the ring of life every day. In this series, we're talking about putting God first in everything. This command gives us a command. It is that you and I are to take God seriously. That's what godliness is. To train in godliness is the idea that you and I make the daily pursuit of our life God and that we likewise have a daily craving to be like Him. That's godliness. To be like God, you and I will never be God, but we are to conform to the image of Jesus. We are to become more and more like Christ. And so we have to train ourselves behind the scenes. We have to be people who are self-disciplined in the things that God wants us to be disciplined in. We have to deal with the routine, monotonous things of life every day and being godly in those, realizing that there is opposition to us behind the scenes internally and that there in the ring of life there is an opposition of a world that hates God that is energized by His Majesty Satan Himself, you and I, when we step into the octagon of life, we better be trained. we got to be ready. 
it's not easy to live the Christian life. But to be godly is to take God seriously. Just like the fighter last night, although he had done some training, he didn't take the arena seriously enough. He didn't realize what he was stepping into. You see, in life, we all want to live an adventurous life. People love to live adventurous lives. People love to mountain climb and to parachute out of planes and, and to do all kind of adventurous stuff. But you know what? Before you do the adventurous stuff, there's some people, they want their adventurous to step into the octagon to fight a battle, a fight. But behind the scenes... There's a lot of monotonous things that go on day in, day out. The adventure happens in moments, but the preparation takes years of training for that one moment or moments or experience of adventure. For you and I to put God first, we have to be godly. Like God, we crave to be with God we want to talk with Him. We want to train with Him. We want to be with Him wherever He goes. He's got to be first. Well, then how do we do all that? Well, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking to a church that's messed up. They've got a lot of spiritual gifts. They have a lot of potential. They had come out of a, of a deep, dark background, and in the environment in which they lived, sin was with going on with reckless abandon. And he said to them in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, if you're going to compete in the games, in that time in Corinth, the Corinthian games were just second to the Olympian games. And he said, if you're going to compete in the games of life, you've got to do it in such a way that you win and you don't get disqualified as you live that life, as you compete in the game of life. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, he tells you and I, as he told the Corinthians then, God's speaking into your heart, how you and I can be godly, how we can take him seriously. But before we begin, there's three questions today. Why should I take him seriously? Why should I be godly? The Bible tells us right off the bat, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4, through 4, here's the first reason. It's because godly people are blessed godly people are blessed those are the ones that are blessed now when you think of the word blessed you often think oh happy fortunate a lot of money good job great kids dating the right person all this kind of stuff well some of that plays into it but that's not what being blessed is to be blessed is, and the result of being blessed is a joy in the Christian life. But to be blessed is really defined in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to this. Paul, in the Spirit of God, speaks to us today. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under a cloud and they all passed through the sea. It's interesting that Paul is speaking to Corinthians, which were predominantly Gentile, and yet he says because they are in Christ, they have ancestors, as you and I have ancestors, that go back into the Old Testament, because in Christ we are connected to the Old Testament believer. 
and he's talking about when the Israelites came out of Egypt. They had been in bondage. They come out of that. They're traveling in the wilderness. And no sooner do they start than God says, here's how it's going to work. You're going to follow a cloud by day and there will be a pillar of fire by night. I'm going to direct you. And they were to follow. And the first place they come to is the Red Sea. <laughs> right off the bat. That is what is happening here when he mentions that you're going to follow this cloud and they went up against the sea and they saw God split open that sea in a miraculous way, what they realized is that they could sense God's presence. When you are blessed, you sense the presence of God. It isn't that you hear Him audibly. You do not see Him. He's invisible but you sense He is with you just as they did as they followed this cloud and they came up against a Red Sea that could only be split open by God Himself. You and I are blessed when we sense God's presence and it says they all passed through that sea. They also experienced God's protection. When you are blessed, you sense His presence, you experience His protection sometimes in ways you don't even know. It may be a physical protection, emotional protection, spiritual protection. That is God's blessing for the Christian, the one who takes Him seriously, the one who wishes to be godly. It says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Very interesting. Baptism, the word, means to be immersed they were immersed into the leadership of Moses who was following the program of God. What they did is not only sense God's presence, experience His protection, but through that cloud and in that sea experience, they saw God's power up close and personal. You are blessed when you live in the power of God, not your own power. You are blessed, you take God seriously, you are a godly person when you rely upon God's power. That's when you're blessed. In verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. <laughs> He's talking about manna. The word manna in Hebrew as it's defined in the Old Testament. It simply means, what is it? Manna was this supernatural bread-like substance that the Israelites had and at first they loved it and they later hated it and they complained about it. But he said that they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They saw water come out of a rock on more than one occasion and they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, a rock that was not just a physical rock, but the rock that is used here is not a small rock. The Hebrew word speaks of a boulder, and the same in the Greek. And it says they accompanied them, this spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. When you're blessed, not only do you sense God's presence, experience His protection, you not only are energized by His power, but you enjoy His provision. That's the person who's blessed. That is available only to the Christian who takes God seriously. All right, that's one reason. The second reason you and I should take God seriously is because God takes my commitment to Him seriously. God takes it seriously. Look in 10.5 of 1 Corinthians. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Did you know that when the Israelites went in to spy out the land, they left Kadesh Barnea, they came back, and the ten spies, they come back out, and most of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, said the enemy is so big we can't defeat them. Joshua and Caleb essentially said the enemy's so big we can't miss them. But they didn't go with that report. And because of that, it says all the generations that was 20 years old and older died in the wilderness. That means, from what we can best estimate, that is between 2 and 3 million people died in the wilderness. Because, you see, God takes a relationship with Him seriously. And He wants you to take it seriously. Because He won't have it any other way. You see, when you send your son to die on the cross and rise from the dead and make such sacrifice... <laughs> He expects our faith to be one of absolute trust and dependency and to take Him seriously. There is consequences to our sin. There is a consequence eternally for a person who's lost and who does not come to Christ. But even as Christians, you and I have a responsibility to live godly, to take Him seriously. Second question, if I'm to do that, what keeps me from taking God seriously? What keeps me from doing that? You know what? In your life, you could probably rattle off several things right now that's keeping you from doing it. Look at the biblical text. See if it, if it matches up to your experience. What keeps me from taking God seriously? Number one, the wrong appetites. The wrong hunger. The desires for things that are not of God. The wrong appetites. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.6. Now, these things occurred as examples. That is, these individuals being blessed, these Israelites dying in the wilderness, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on, literally lusting after, having great desire or appetites for evil things, as they did. See, the Israelites, they continually craved all this evil stuff, even though they had God's presence, His protection, His power, and His provision, they continued to complain and they wanted to go back to Egypt where they could engage in the lifestyle of evil they had before. They even missed the food. <laughs> they had their wrong appetite across the, this, across the whole thing. Now you see, when you and I think of appetite, we think of food, right? That's what we think. Well, that being the case, listen to this. Did you know there is a book out? It is called Salt, Sugar, and Fat. <laughs> Great book by a guy named Michael Moss. And in this book, he points out this, that each year the average American eats 33 pounds of cheese and 70 pounds of sugar. On an average, 11% of our diet comes from saturated fats. Every day we eat 8,500 milligrams of salt that's four whopping teaspoons of salt every day. Now, you think, why do we do that? Oh, is that just natural? Oh, no. Oh, no. You've been conditioned to do it. In fact, major companies such as Campbell Soup, General Foods, Kraft, PepsiCo, and Cadbury hire every year Crave Consultants. Anybody ever heard of a Crave Consultant? <laughs> they hire crave consultants who study the bliss points of people 
to try to convince people what it is that they really need, which they really don't need, but yet you have a craving for it. They are hired as consultants to create cravings in people that they then will fill. The one who they say who has been the most masterful at this is Cheetos, Frito-Lay. Anybody here like Fritos or Cheetos in particular? Let me tell you why you like Cheetos. Because they have hired Crave consultants that created, as one says, one of the most marvelously constructed foods on the planet in terms of pure pleasure. <laughs> if you've ever had a whole bag of Cheetos and can't stop, you know what it's talking about. Cheetos has what is called vanishing caloric density. <laughs> what? Vanishing caloric density. That is, you are convinced when you eat Cheetos because it dissipates in your mouth so fast, it can't possibly have a lot of calories. You are convinced of that, but yet it's not the truth. Now, you see, that's just talking about physical appetite, that we get conditioned. You see, you have natural appetites physical and otherwise, that are to be satisfied God's way. And you have a hired crave consultant in this world called Satan himself who loves to manipulate your own appetites. And he does it at large. He does it through media. He does it through other influences. But the problem is we have the wrong appetites. You will never be godly you will never take God seriously until you change your appetites. Not just food. First John says, do not love the world or anything of the world. For all that is in the world, that world system that is anti-God, do not love the world or anything in the world for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that natural appetite that we will try to achieve satisfaction outside of God's will. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that is to satisfy that internal craving externally in some way. Do not love the world or anything of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. That is where you convince yourself that this life is all about you and not God. We are to develop the right kind of appetites. And where will you find those appetites, my friend? It is in the Word of God. You create, it is, it is not just simply hearing this. That's part of it. See, many people, when you start with the Bible, if you want to change your appetites, you're going to have to change the mind. See, some people like to do Xanax approach to getting into the Word of God. That is, whenever we have a hurt or a problem, we run to the Bible to fix the problem, and once the problem's fixed, we set it down and have nothing else to do with it. Some people take the pinball approach. They just jump here and there in the Bible, wherever. Others take another approach. They take the approach of the magic eight ball approach. Does anybody remember the magic eight ball? Remember the little magic eight ball? You just shake it up, and it'll tell you stuff. And sometimes people will do that. They'll just kind of take their Bible and they'll magically, you know, they do the finger thing. Well, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? Judas went out and hung himself. Go and do likewise, you know. 
Don't do the magic eight ball approach, man. It'll get you killed, okay? Don't do that. Some people do the picky eater approach. That is, they like to read the parts of the Bible that make them feel good, but they don't like the parts that challenge them. No, what we need to do is we've got to take the teabag approach to saturating this mind. You know, if you take water and that cup of hot water and you take that teabag and you dip it in, you dip it, the longer it dips, the longer it stays, the more it just saturates the water. You, you dip by hearing the Word of God preached and taught. You dip further when you get into reading the Bible every day, but don't stop there. You then also have to study the Word of God. Study what it says, get into it, the depth of it, and begin to study it. You also have to memorize Scripture, get it into your mind, particularly in those areas where you struggle. You then have to then just let your brain brew in the Scripture by meditating upon it, not hum, not that kind of meditation. Meditation is focused thinking on what you're going to do with it as you change the internal appetites. And then as you meditate upon it, as, it, as your brain and mind is, is overwhelmed by it, it pours forth from you an application. And so that when people get a taste of you, they taste God in part. We've got our part of the problem is wrong, attitude, wrong appetites. The other is the wrong almighty. That's the second thing. Notice it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, Do not be idolaters as some of they were, as it is written. The, pe the, sat, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to engage or indulge in revelry. They sat around and they began to worship idols. This was when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And while they were there, they convinced Aaron to build a calf and that they could sit down and worship the real God this way. It was funny to me that when Moses came down, he said, what are you doing? And Aaron says, I don't know. It was just we were sitting around. All of a sudden, this calf kind of jumped out of the fire. I mean, come on. And yet, what happened is it says here that the people sat down to eat and to drink. And revelry was to dance before their God. And in their drunkenness, they began to engage in sexual activity. The wrong Almighty, the wrong God comes in a lot of forms. It may be in the form of hoarding. You ever watch the show Hoarding? Some people just hoard. It becomes their God. It's destroying their life and their relationships but hoarding takes over. For some people, it's heroin. Heroin becomes the counterfeit worship. You worship heroin. Some people worship worry and resentment and gossip, pride, self-righteousness and anger. Their pastimes, their possessions, the desire for prestige, which could be career, position, or influence. Others worship popularity and power, and praise, and another person, or pornography. <laughs> it takes many forms. The problem is that you will never be godly. You never take God seriously. You can be in this building as much as you want. You can sing to the, to the height of your lungs. But if your life does not change, it is worthless. 
You see, God wants us to take him seriously, to have the right almighty, him. Third, wrong associations. Wrong associations. Connected up with the wrong people. Notice in 1 Corinthians 10, 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. That is the Greek word pornia. That is any sexual activity. Here, folks, if you want just clear what's, what's acceptable and what's not, here it is. All sexual activity between two heterosexual married people, that's it. Everything else is condemned in that word. That's where we get our word pornography. Nothing, you can't cheat God, you can't fool God. These individuals, though, were, how did they get led into it? It said, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 died. Actually, if you go back to Numbers, chapter 25, 24,000 died. 23,000 died instantly. Their thousand other leaders of them died just before that. What had happened when they were coming into the land, fixing to go into the land? They encountered the Moabites, and the Moabite women were cultic prostitutes. And they lured in the men of Israel, and they engaged in this activity, but it was because of their association, because they connected up with the wrong folks. You see, you want to be godly, you've got to be careful who you let into the inner circle of your life. We are to befriend people. We are to reach out with the gospel to people who are as lost as they can be. But you have to be very careful who you let into the inner circle of your life. Because friendship, as wonderful as it is, is extremely dangerous too. Because you're letting people into the inner circle of your life. And wrong associations will pull you from God. And folks, you live in a world, let's just get this straight, Everybody is moving this way for the most part and it has nothing to do with God. If you're going this way, you will probably be alone. My friend, you better stay here because that's the only place of blessing. Don't go with the crowd. Anybody can walk with the crowd. You and I have to be different from that. Listen, make associations to win people to Christ. But make sure those associations don't bring you down. The Israelites, they let it happen for a time. Also, wrong assumptions. <laughs> wrong assumptions. 1 Corinthians 10.9, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. You really ought to go back and read the Old Testament, man. It is better than anything that you will see on network television or anywhere else because it says in Numbers 21 that the people, God, it says they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food we've got. <laughs> they didn't like the manna. And the Lord sent venomous snakes among them and bit them and many people died now is that because God is a mean oh God <laughs> no 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 God is simply saying listen if you want to get bit then just keep walking the wrong distance keep going the wrong direction 
through your wrong appetites, wrong almighty, wrong, wrong association, and wrong assumption. The wrong assumption is God isn't all that serious about sin. Yes, He is. Because if you're going to let, as a Christian, it invade your life, I don't care who you are. I don't care how many times you come to church. God is not real to you. And He will never be until you turn from that. Repent of it. Move away from it. And begin to make the right appetites. Have the right appetites for Him. The right Almighty Him. The right associations People who build you up don't tear you down and don't assume that you can get away with things with God because it will not happen. Number five, wrong attitudes. Wrong attitudes. And do not grumble as some of them did and they were killed by the destroying angel. Most likely what this is talking about is in Numbers chapter 16. There was a man by the name of Korah he and 250 leaders said, we're tired of this. <laughs> we're tired of Moses leading us. We're going to start leading. And so Moses pleaded with them, pleaded to God, and what happened the next day is that those 250 leaders and Korah, the ground just sucked them in. And then on top of that, it said that the next day, people were complaining that Moses and Aaron had caused these people to die, and it had been their choice. And so, because of that, 14,700 people died of a plague. Because you see, their problem was not with Moses. Their problem was with God. And that's the way it is for some of you. Your problem is with God. Folks, don't get me wrong. Anybody here ever been mad at God? I have found out every time I was wrong. There's something weird about God. He's perfect and I'm not. But the other side of that, I've also found that nine times out of ten, the consequences in my life generally have to do something with my wrong decisions. The wrong attitudes will get you there. Grumbling, murmuring, being dissatisfied. You see, the problem is when you're always griping, you know who you're mad at? God! Because He has allowed your circumstances. You know, I think in heaven when we get there, we're going to be amazed that there is a suggestion box because there's going to be places that people will not go unless they can express their dissatisfaction. Right? They're going to, they've got to have an opportunity to complain. See, you and I have to be careful about our attitudes because even there, griping, murmuring, what you're saying is I'm dissatisfied with God. You're never going to get godly there. You're never going to take him serious there. So those are the things you have to avoid. Now, what did I need to do? Well, just the opposite of those things. For one, have the right appetites. Worship the right Almighty. Make strong associations that will build you up and you can build into other people. Have the right assumptions. Don't assume that God doesn't take sin seriously. He does. Look at the flood that we're studying on Sunday night the ancient sacrificial system dealing with sin and then sending Christ Himself to die and rise for the sin of the world. Wrong assumption and also don't have the wrong attitudes. And what do I need to do? Do the right things. But here's the other thing. And here's the hard part. 
you have got to learn to say no to temptation. You've got to learn to say no to temptation. If you continually cannot, then there is a spiritual problem. You've either walked way, 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 way away from God, or you have never walked with Him at all. What do you got to do? Two things in closing. If you're going to deal with temptation, never say never. Never say never. Boy, I found that in life. Never say never. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 12, these things, all that he had just described about the ancient Israelites happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. You may be here this morning and think, man, I'm on top of it. I could never fall into this particular sin or that particular sin or I would never be like that person or this person. Never say never in your life. God is faithful, but we very often are not as faithful as we should be. Never say never, but also the other side of that, some people say I have fallen into sin and I can never get out. Or God will never love me. Not true. The other side of never say never is, listen, there is no place that you will sink that Christ will not be there with you and He can bring you out of it if you let Him. Never say never that you couldn't fall, be so prideful, or don't become so pitiful that you think that Christ, that you you have more love and compassion than God does because if God can love you even when you can't, that's because He's God. So never say never. If you're struggling here, listen folks, there may be things going on behind the scene. Addictions, it may be things in your mind, there may be sin that there are people around you know about. There's other things that are going on in your mind nobody knows about. There are things that you continue to give into. Here's the deal. God loves you and there is a way out. It's never say never. It may be through the agency of another person intervening in your life. It may be you just have to come clean with it. But most importantly, you've got to look at these things we've just talked about. But there's one other thing. Grasp this, that I am not alone. Others have resisted. And you can too. And God will help me to overcome. Those are givens. You may not sense it. You may not believe it at this moment, but it's the truth. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That is, you're not going to go through anything on this planet temptation-wise that others have not went through or are not going through right now. You're not alone. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted by what you can bear. You may think that, but you're wrong because you're not God and He is. The thing is that there are others who have been able to say no, and you can too. It's not because they're all good and you're not. It's a matter of allowing God to work in and through your life and be committed to Him and change some of those things we've just talked about that are pulling you down. Last, but when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it if you will take it. 
You've got to be willing to take the out. You've got to be willing to work with it and do it, not give in to the temptation. It's so easy to give in. My friend, let me share a verse with you. Whenever it's there and it's upon you, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and redeemer. You do not have to give in. But here's how you're going to have to deal with it. The final four things as we close today. When you deal with temptation, and you will, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to recognize your weaknesses. Recognize your weaknesses. They generally come in the form of people or situations. So you may have to avoid certain people in certain situations. I told you, I love Baby Ruth bars and Snickers bars. They would be the death of me if I let them. So when I go into the store, I go into Brookshire's, <sighs> smell that candy aisle, man. I can smell it all the way from the minute you walk in the door. But I can't walk down the candy aisle. Now maybe you can walk down the candy aisle because that's not a problem for you. Not me, because I would be taking them bags home with me. You have to recognize your weaknesses. Acknowledge it. Second, resolve to do right. Resolve to do right before you enter into that position. You've got to be willing to make a decisive moment decision. I will not. You've got to determine, resolve to do right. Folks, that doesn't mean that you're not going to fail. It doesn't mean that you won't get knocked down, you won't have to get back up. Last night, that's what one of those fighters said, Mr. Punk, who got beat up in just a few moments. But when after it's over, he gave a great speech that everybody needed to hear. He said, you know, being tough is not necessarily winning a fight. Being tough is being able to get knocked down and be able to get off the canvas to live the fight another day. And that's the way you have to be. Resolve to do right. Third, request God's help. Be in prayer before and at the time of. Request His help. And finally, run from wrong and run with the right people. Run from wrong, run with the right people. Flee the evil desires, Second Timothy says. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Recognize your weaknesses. Resolve you're going to do right. Request God's help and run from the wrong. But also, as we said earlier about associations, run with the right people. Take God seriously. I close with this. Years ago, the great poet Robert Frost in his poem, The Road Not Taken, wrote, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
and those who find it are few. You see, folks, if you're going to take God seriously, and if I'm going to take Him seriously, if we're going to be godly people, most people are not going to go that way. They're going to take the traveled road that is traveled most. You and I have to do otherwise. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, if you have never decided to take Him seriously, today is the day that you can do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and as we close today in prayer, if you're here and you want to take God seriously, you want to place your faith and trust in Him, I'm right here. I'll be glad to talk with you when this service is over. Just come down casually. If you want to meet elsewhere and us go out for coffee and talk, we'll do that too. But if you've never given your life to Christ, make that decision. If you're here today as a Christian and you just haven't been taking God seriously, man, it's, it's time to do it. I'll be glad to talk with you about that as well. Let's prepare to go out of here and take God seriously. Put Him first and live for Him. Would you bow with me, please? Our Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to be Your children. Lord, I pray that You bless everyone who is here today with Your presence, Your power, Your protection, Your provision. Lord, let them represent You well. Lord, if there's anyone here that is struggling with You, if there's anyone here that is, is not in relationship with You, Lord, I pray that they will come forward when this service is over and we can talk and pray about that because today may be the day that they move from death to life and begin to take you seriously, living godly for you every day. We pray all of this in the strong and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen.